Hello and welcome to Building Brand You, the show where we help you to accelerate your success, getting you more clients, more revenue, more business and more opportunities by unlocking your greatest asset, you. My name is Kim Hamer. I'm an international business coach, a recognized global expert on leadership, visibility and personal branding, and I designed this podcast for you to help you unlock what you already have and to give you a whole host of tools and techniques that you can implement in order to accelerate your success and build your own brand you. So let's unlock this episode and lift the lid on what's next in building brand you. Hello everyone, and welcome to this special feature length episode of Building Brand You. Today, I am delighted to welcome my special guest, Paul Skinner. Paul is the founder of the Agency of the Future, through which he helps clients to drive purpose-led change and better mobilize stakeholders for lasting success. He is also the author of The Purpose Upgrade, Change Your Business to Save the World, Change the World to Save Your Business, which Mike Berners-Lee, author of There Is No Planet B, described as a necessary and enlightening call to action for businesses to rethink why they exist and the implications for everything they say, think and do. I first met Paul four years ago when he launched his previous book, Collaborative Advantage, How Collaboration Beats Competition as a Strategy for Success. This book was described by Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield, co-founders of Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream, as the perfect recipe for successful businesses that improve lives. He also runs Marketing Kind, a non-profit professional membership community where he also helps to drive purpose-led change. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the wonderful Paul Skinner. Well, hello, Paul. How are you today? Thanks for joining us on the Building Brand New podcast. Well, I'm incredibly excited to be here, Kim. Thank you. It's wonderful. We first met, um, listeners, about four years ago, I think, when Paul published his first book, Collaborative Advantage, and we caught up recently at the launch of his second book, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. And um, we agreed that Paul should really write more books so that we can catch up a lot more often than um, just the, the four years apart. Paul, rather than me actually tell listeners about you, I think you'll do a much better job of introducing yourself um, than I ever would. So I'm going to hand the mic over to you and you can tell us who is Paul Skinner? What's your story? Uh, so that's a big question I'll give a a compressed version and then you can (laughs) uh, dig as you would like but I um I run the agency of the future Mm -hmm. um so I support leaders in selecting defining and mobilizing around purpose whether for their organization as a whole or particular initiatives within those organizations um, I also run a nonprofit community called Marketing Kind, uh, where we believe that the world's problems are also marketing briefs in disguise. Uh, and we come together every month to upcycle our business and marketing skills in support of pioneering charities and social enterprises. Uh, we also coach and support each other in becoming more conscious and impactful leaders in the day job. Uh, And finally, we work with our heroes and some of the 
world's leading change makers and thought leaders in seeking to upgrade some of the stories, the bigger stories that we live and work by uh, for the better. I also, of course, write my books. As you say, the first one was four years ago, Collaborative Advantage, How Collaboration Beats Competition as a Strategy for Success. Uh, in some ways, it feels like those were the good old days in, the, you know, in, that, in that brief four years, we've had a global health emergency, a huge interruption to business and life as usual with the lockdowns um, in the UK. I think we're on the 27th prime minister in four months. Um, <laughs> uh, and so we are living in a more crisis prone world. Um, uh, I write my books uh, in the hope of using my ideas to support people that I'm not working with directly. So it's a it's a way to take some of the learnings from marketing kind of my my client work and and hopefully increase the contribution they can make by reaching uh, a broader readership. I uh, I guess I spend most of my time working with three groups of people, uh, business leaders who are seeking to make a profit. Uh, leaders of charities and social enterprises who are seeking to create change. Uh, and as it happens, I have spent a lot of time working with leaders in disasters and emergencies um, who are seeking to ensure safety and survival and recovery. Now, of course, somebody might have claimed maybe when the first book came out that those worlds are quite far apart. Um, I would say that that today they're, they're really not so far apart. If you're working in disasters and emergencies, say as a humanitarian, the scale of the problems means that, you know, you're certainly not going to solve those problems alone. So you need to work with and through the whole of society and with and through all of the other sectors. Um, if you are running a charity or a social enterprise, you've likely discovered that there isn't that much excess cash to siphon in the direction of beneficiaries. So you have to get so innovative in thinking about how you can create self-perpetuating change, how you can create benefits for all of your stakeholders, how you can work with business partners um, to make your operations more sustainable. And of course, business leaders are finding, particularly larger businesses are finding that the expectations of responsibility are going through the roof compared to what they may have been earlier in your career. Um, and I think businesses of all sizes are discovering the huge opportunity that comes uh, from seeking to succeed by making a bigger difference to people's lives. Uh, so I think all of these groups have a lot to learn from each other now. And, and of course, as I kind of hinted, saying that the first book came out in the good old days, um, we're all having to learn to work and to lead and to live in a more crisis prone world. Um, I did actually, as it happens, write about uh, the threat of global pandemics in chapter 12 of Collaborative Advantage, which I'm sure you remember, Kim. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, But I didn't, that was before COVID was a thing. Yeah, uh, we all went, making, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, was making, I was making the case that uh, crises can affect us all. They're not just something that's remote. I think that we know that very well now. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. And so with my second book, um very aware that it is being launched into an environment where people are having to make sense of their lives and work in a uh, in a very volatile crisis prone world.
Yeah. I think what's really interesting is that, you know, when you talked about all of that, it's all linked to purpose. You know, there's mm. again, that that's kind of like the golden thread. So have have you always lent towards working um in in purpose or or with purpose in some way? Or did did you sort of work in another way for a while and then go, actually I want to do this kind of work? Did, which way did it did that happen? I think um in terms of my mindset and personality, I I like to work hard, mm. but I find it difficult to motivate myself to do something if I can't see the point in it. Uh-huh. Uh so I think that I'm drawn towards purposeful endeavor to the extent that I'm I'm also quite happy to delay gratification for example yeah so I'm very happy to work on something that is sowing the seeds for future growth for example so even my early my earliest job I worked in um L'Oreal in Paris and as part of an experiment went very early into global brand development if you think of the sales team as looking after today the marketing teams in the countries as looking after um, tomorrow and you kind of think of the global development as looking after the day after tomorrow Mm. um, in a sense metaphorically so um, and, and I think often when there's a bit of a fad for purpose in business and often what people mean by purpose is something that is somehow separate to business objectives mm. um and you know if we park that for a moment and think about human purpose um i guess i i think most of us certainly in my case i'm more drawn towards things that that sort of pull me beyond um present moment concerns only towards something that is likely to be satisfying for for the long run and that is a a a worthwhile endeavor Mm. and I think there's something about that that long-term thinking that um speaking to someone the other day and saying we're just not we've we've lost the ability to dream to think forward um you know I think as a society in in business do, do you agree with that or do you see more light um at the at the sort of the end of that sort of long-term dream or purpose funnel funnel that's interesting i i think that <clears throat> in some sense we definitely need to reconfigure our relationship with time mm. um so i think what has disappeared is the ability to think in a inward looking linear set of steps I mean thinking this conversation has reminded me of my first job and on you know when we would go back to work after the new year we would get into our diaries a schedule of meetings for the year and work was dominated by internal meetings when our brand development plans would get reviewed by different layers of hierarchy and so on and presenting to the countries and the con- zone directors and so on. Um, I think that linear sense has has somewhat gone. Um, my sense, however, is that what we need in its place is, is long-term and responsive at the same time. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we need to get much better at is balancing, not actually balancing the needs, but involving and empowering and rewarding 
a more diverse set of stakeholders than maybe we'd previously fully considered. Um, and in the long run, stakeholder interests become more aligned than if you think in terms of short-term trade-offs only. I mm. mean, if you have a team of 10 employees and you cut their pay in half, mm. then you're probably going to have a, a good month, particularly if you don't tell them in advance, but the rest of the year could become a little tricky. Yeah. Uh, so the longer term that, that we think re rewards more stakeholders. So we need long-term vision and often the only way we can build long-term vision now is not through an inward looking set of um, linear steps that we determine in advance, but rather mm. something that we co-create with a broader range of partners so that we work on a, a, a program of shared purpose where we become uh, more predictable to our stakeholders and we enroll our stakeholders in becoming more predictable to us so that we can plan together. I yep. think of... Um, I happened to be at the Manchester Green Summit a couple of weeks ago and Andy Burnham, the mayor of London, who I met with a few times, describes Manchester as the last beacon of stable government. And uh, mm -hmm. one of the things that they have he has been able to do in Manchester is to build a long term vision for change with a, a wide variety of businesses and, and other actors to, to build the future of Manchester sustainability. At the same time, we need to recognise that we are in a crisis prone world. And while on the one hand, to address the needs of a crisis prone world, we need to think long term. We also need to recognise that in a crisis prone world, there will be rapid and extensive shifts in the the human priorities and the needs of the people around us. Mm -hmm. So we need to become very responsive as well as fostering a long-term integrative vision. Um, and it may be that sort of what's gone is the idea that I myself can determine my own actions for the next three years. And by sticking exactly to that plan, I'm going to get optimal results. I think yeah. if, if anybody thought that until recently, now's definitely the time to jettison that idea. Yeah, it's been kind of smashed, hasn't it? I'm interested in what had you take the leap out of being employed to um, particularly starting agency of the future. Um, what was it that made you say, I can do this in a better way, in a more effective way, in a more congruent way? Yeah, that's um, so actually one of my own influences, another marketing kind member um, his name is John Grant. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember when I still worked for L'Oreal, actually. So this was some years before I met him. I read one of his books called After Image. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember consciously thinking to myself, if my bosses were as clever as this guy, I wouldn't be thinking of leaving. Um, and uh, a few years later, I was working on a global sustainable food initiative um, and one of his subsequent books came out, The Green Marketing Manifesto, um, and I spotted it in my local bookshop and I thought, you know, I'll give him a, a, a drop him a line and maybe involve him in this initiative now that he's gone in this direction. Um, his first book was about making brands and business meaningful as a, as a source of business advantage. This book was on um, marketing as a tool for creating sustainable businesses. Um, and so I involved him in that and got a bit of a sense of how he worked with his books and his consulting and supporting nonprofit initiatives. 
Um, and I think it maybe he became a, somewhat of a role model. And from from that moment, I thought, you know, I'd like the opportunity to try this myself. Mm. Um, and I, I tried it as an experiment when I took on a couple of roles, more in a consulting capacity than a, a PAYE, technically employed capacity. Um, and, and the whole thing sort of had built its own momentum from there. And, and I haven't considered going back into a a, a, a corporate type uh, employed role since. Yeah, I must admit, I've only been in the entrepreneur space for uh, it's coming up to four years. And I think I'm pretty much unemployable now. I don't know that, you know, but I did spend a long time in the um, employed space, 28 years. So maybe I just need to spend the equivalent amount of time in um, non traditionally employed space. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that idea of unemployability. Mm. Um, because in a, in a sense, I, I, we need so much innovation and creativity if we're going to meet the scale of some of today's problems. Yeah. You know, we have some quite serious problems. I think, you know, 56% of adults think that business does more harm than good. The same number, 56% of young people across 10 countries around the world think that humanity is doomed so we've got real problems to solve and mm. it's going to require a deeper level of creativity and thoughtfulness than we've ever needed from businesses before mm. um, and so my sense is that the mindset that does its best in an open plan office environment doing the 13th powerpoint presentation or excel spreadsheet of the day while that's valuable is not all that is needed um and so i i would i think what you're doing is fantastic is helping people with their life stories that there could hardly be anything more valuable than that but i i imagine if businesses are sensible and thoughtful and want to be there for the long run and want to contribute to improving the world rather than getting sucked up into um whatever is left over of it yeah. um then i think it's it's businesses that need to revise their perception of what employable means uh might be um mm. might be the important lever to pull there yeah and and i guess thinking about well what what is the purpose of these people why why do i need them in my business what am i trying to create and manifest and all of those sorts of things and therefore is it is it still you know what what's the best possible way that that I can do this rather than this is the framework that works and I'm trying to get the the, the sort of the stickiness out of yeah, the current is, framework that is hugely important because I mean let's take I, I made a snide comment about powerpoints it probably is that on average most people are better at slides than me so so let's admit that but um if you ask anyone, you know, who is a great speaker, you know, who, who are they going to say? Let's say they say Barack Obama, if, you, if anyone still remembers him. Um, I don't remember Obama using a, a, a deck. Um, if you think of some of the greatest storytellers in history, I, I don't think any of them, you know, if only Martin Luther King had a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> it's not, not something I've ever heard anyone say. If you ask a room full of people, um, how many people in the room and guess that they've probably seen more than 50 PowerPoint presentations last year? 
Mm. You know, most people will put their hands up. If you ask anyone to keep their hands up, if they can tell you what more than three of them were about, a lot of the hands are going to go down. Yeah. My sense is that there's a lot um, that maybe we maybe might start to overcome in a remote working environment or a hybrid working environment. But I think there is a lot in a in a corporate environment that is about people working in a way to conform with what they believe other people's expectations may be um, rather than what is most effective and of course mm. because you've now been independent for four years yeah the only thing you're trying to work out is what is effective now yeah and so you know it's it's hard to want to readjust from that and 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 go back in the other direction um but I think that uh, my hope is that working environments are evolving mm. so that we can embrace how people can work out for themselves how to be effective to a far greater degree than 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 previously yeah absolutely and and to that point so I want to bring us to the to the book particularly and I'll ask you a few questions about that but I want to read something out which yeah. I think really relates to what we've just been talking about so um it's it's from the chapter In Search of Lost Purpose, page 76, in case anybody is um, has it in the, in the hard copy version. You start out at the top of the page with not only is the work that we can each undertake in the world changing, but so too must our core understanding of the world in which we undertake our work. So often this is not simply a question of reinventing ourselves as economic agents, but of revising or recreating our definitions of who we are and editing or rewriting our stories as human beings. We are in a constant process of becoming, of leaving prior versions of ourselves behind as we adjust to pursue new ends. And I think there's something like that, that is a very human quote, but it also, I think, relates to what we've just been talking about in terms of organisations and how are they reinventing themselves? What are they becoming that's going to really elevate uh, what they can contribute to the world? Um, and there's also this sense as well of sort of busting the purpose myth. So one of the things I loved about change your business to save the world and change the world to save your business. But one of the first things you address is what is purpose? Like, what is this? As you said, it's a bit of a buzzword. It's not only organizations that are talking about it. You know, I coach a lot of individuals as well. And there's a lot of discussion about, oh, well, I need to find my purpose. And then it's like a magic pill. It will all be okay. So, you know, tell us a little bit about why, why purpose for you? What do you think is the biggest, I don't know, maybe the biggest myth around purpose that you came across in all your experience and all of your research for the book? Yeah, it, it may be worth kind of going upstream of the biggest myth in terms of what is purpose in the yep. first place. Yep. To answer your question, though, in terms of the biggest myth, um, I suppose because I've done quite a bit of work in the field of disasters and emergencies, and it turns out that working in disasters and emergencies feels very purposeful. Um, in a sense, quite a lot of my experience there didn't really tally with some of the simplistic thinking about purpose that is often touted in business. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, a lot of the work in disasters and emergencies is at its most purposeful when, of course, something has gone very badly wrong, something that may or may not have been anticipatable 
or may have been better or less well anticipated, even if it was a predictable event. Mm. Um, and uh, if we think in our own lives as well, particularly purposeful moments for us, it may follow that kind of pattern. I had a visit from my dad when he was alive, for example. He 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 came up with my mum, the 200 mile trip to come and visit. Um, and on the the his first morning here, he had a stroke. Um, and he was a, a heart transplant patient, so it, it didn't make sense to take him to the local hospital. It made sense to get him to his specialist hospital, Harefield Hospital, which was about 20 miles from where he lives, so also a 200-mile journey from here. And so I drove him there, um, paying attention to keep him awake, um, and uh, I asked myself what purposeful activity felt like, and that felt like a, from my memory, one instance of purposeful activity. Mm. Um, and of course, it didn't correspond to what everyone says about purpose. People say that purpose is your north star. Well, that has some merit as a metaphor because it highlights that purpose is something that helps you navigate. And we might come on to that a bit more because. Mm. There, there's a reason why myths exist. It's because they are at least partially useful. Yeah. Um, but of course, the North Star is an inanimate object. Yeah. And human purpose is forged in very much animate contexts. Yeah. Um, if purpose had been my North Star that day, you know, his, his reason for visiting was for us to enjoy a day out together. But of course, it would be ludicrous to think that I would have somehow tried to dr drag him out and to, to remain consistent with our prior North Star. Mm. Um, you know, the ex ingredients of that experience was a problem to solve that was, as it happens, unanticipated. Uh, an outcome to reach, you know, the safety of the hospital and something I could do about it. Yeah. And that was also important because let's say I'd been in the passenger seat, the, the action would have been equally important, but I probably wouldn't have thought of it as a purposeful experience mm. for me in that mm. sense, um, even though the, the overall meaning was the same. But that so it's a, a problem to solve an outcome to reach and something we can do about it, I think, are essential ingredients of purpose. So. You know, the, the North Star is one thing maybe to bust. Another one, if we're on the topic of myth busting, is uh, people think purpose is all about authenticity. Mm. Um, and of course, again, that's a half truth in that it doesn't make sense to try to do something that just doesn't align with who you are. Mm. And so I'm not an advocate for inauthenticity, but an inward looking or something that comes from introspection alone is probably not enough in an enterprise context. It, it would be somewhat silly, for example, to offer an experience of authentic gastronomic delight in an environment of food poverty. And then, of course, people also think of purpose as being single minded. Mm. Uh, and once again, there's some half truth there in that the ability to focus on something purposes about what you don't do as well as about what you choose to do. Yeah. Um, but of course, in an enterprise context, you need to align the aspirations of a whole collection of stakeholders in a world that keeps changing. Yeah. And so it's not so much single mindedness as an ability to think 
in an integrated way or a systemic way to align the interests of whole groups of people around common purpose that is mm. going to lead to the longest outcome. So I think we need to, you know, the epigraph at the start of the book, uh, one of the two of them is the quote from Paul Valéry, um, I'll give the English, which is anything simple is false, anything that isn't is unusable. And I think in a lot of our thinking on purpose, purpose is a map, not a reality. Um, we want to make the map as good as we can while recognizing that as it is not the reality, it's the map. It is always possible to upgrade that map and to improve it mm. and to map a better trajectory through life or through the future of our businesses. So we need to remain always willing to upgrade our purpose mm. when a changing world makes that desirable mm, absolutely and you talked um before we went into the uh myth busting um about what is purpose and we talked a little bit about um the three ingredients of i guess feeling purposeful but you know when you started the book that must have been the biggest definition of i'd say what actually is it you talked about it then as a it's a navigation um it allows us to find common purpose and i think one of the things i find a lot is it's used a lot in big business. It's used a lot personally, but I deal with a lot of early stage entrepreneurs or people who are moving from corporate to entrepreneur, and they might have this grand purpose, but actually what becomes clear is I need to pay the bills. I need to pay mm. the rent. So, you know, does my purpose go out the window at the expense of pragmatism? You know, how does that all work? You know, when you are becoming, when you are reinventing and when your business and your yourself is emerging in a new way what what has been your sense of how easily we give up purpose at the expense of I've got to pay the bills <laughs> there's two questions there because you asked yeah. what is purpose yeah and that's exactly. a huge question and then you ask what is um purpose versus pragmatism and paying the so I'll, I'll deal with the latter first since that's okay. where you landed but I'm happy to address this yeah underlying yes. question of what is i'm going back the there if you place. don't <laughs> um so um in a sense this is in the news today you know rishi sunak should he go to cop 27 uh or should he stay at home focusing on looking at how to handle the cost of living crisis through um the next fiscal event i would say of course short answer he's he's got to go to cop 27 and, and my prediction is that he will end up going even though he's announced that he won't go mm. um but i think we can learn can identify a couple of principles first of all if you solve the bigger problems first the smaller problems will more likely take care of themselves so if we are a, a global leader in addressing the world's biggest problems, it, it will be easier to find a way forwards for our economy mm -hmm. as part of being the solution to the world's biggest problems. Um, secondly, a desire to contribute. So to the fullest extent that we can, if we begin by seeking to help our stakeholders solve their problems, we probably have a more sustainable, attractive future to work towards than if our focus is just on solving our own problems. And this works for a business too. I, I remember Fika Sibisma, one of the 
you know, greatest business leaders of recent decades talking to me as um, in, in the context of, of, of the book. Really, you want to upgrade your purpose before financial pressure forces you to do so. Um, because by then, you're not upgrading your purpose on your own terms. You're upgrading your purpose in ways that are dictated by impatient investors or by uh, bills that you're going to struggle to pay this month and so on. Um, So really, I suppose those two principles solve your big problems first. And if your desire is to contribute and you're solving your stakeholders problems, if you're helping your clients solve what is most important to them, if you're giving your colleagues an opportunity to develop fruitful and meaningful careers, if you're giving investors a reason to commit to the future, if you are contributing to the vibrancy of the communities that your businesses depend upon, then you're going to do much better because you're going to empower all of those stakeholders to create a better future with you and for you um, and as a result of your support um, than if you're um, only focused on your own pain points because, you know, newsflash, nobody else cares about those. Exactly. And it, it goes back to something you said earlier about thinking of shared purpose. So mm. it's not just about you and your purpose coming along in the world and going, here I am. It, it's it's about, it's bigger than me. One of the, the tenants I always talk about with, with clients, particularly in personal branding, is your brand, your brand exists in the world of others. Mm. You can have as many wonderful ideas about what your brand is internally, but unless you can articulate and share that with others, is it really a brand. So we have a big discussion about that. Um, might be a slightly different lane from um, enterprise and corporates and, and things like that. But it's something that when we start to think about how we show up in the world, what is our shared contribution, our shared purpose, and what mark do we want to leave that can be continued by others, that seems to have much more power uh, and much more momentum, you know, that ripple effect kind of happens Mm. yeah it's interesting because you 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 hear a lot about the importance of storytelling in business yes you do and uh what's interesting is i'm always interested in what's missing it's Mm. not necessarily what's wrong in what's said it's what's missing from what's said yeah um and so when you hear about the importance of storytelling in business because i'm a big proponent of the importance and the value of narrative yeah um, but when people talk about the importance of storytelling in business, they're mostly talking about the messages that you, the business, tell to a customer as the passive recipient of that message and no doubt the grateful beneficiary of the superior value that you somehow <laughs> generously pour into them as the <laughs> passive recipients of that wondrous benefit. Yeah, exactly. Um, Everybody's just waiting for that to fall on them, aren't they? <laughs> um People are going about their lives. They're doing everything they can to improve their own lives and the lives of the people around them. Um, And so narrative is incredibly important, but we need to be less myopic in thinking about what narratives we're talking about. So how about what are the stories we need to be listening to better Mm. in business that all of our stakeholders are saying? What are the stories we can find in those conversations that may or may not have anything to do with us on the face of it. But what are the stories we can find in that that tell us something important about our stakeholders and their aspirations? Mm. Um, How do we align 
the needs of different stakeholders, particularly if we want to achieve long term prosperity, that means we need to play into the aspirations of whole different groups of stakeholders who need to interact with each other even more than they need to interact with us and our business for um, shared prosperity to occur. What are the stories people are telling themselves that we could help them improve? And I think this kind of gets to the heart of some of your work. I had a fantastic conversation through our Marketing Kind community um, with um, the world's leading proponent of story editing, which is the psychological process through which you help people or create a context in which people change their own stories for the better Mm. and thereby end up taking positive self-perpetuating change. So how can we um, create an environment where people can see themselves becoming something greater through our support? Um, And then, of course, the stories we tell are a part of that. We have to make a promise of better uh, for people to buy into in that context. And we also have to live up to those stories. You know, the story action is as important as the storytelling. Or as Seth Godin told us in one of our Marketing Kind exchanges, if you do enough mission action, the mission statement can can write itself. So I, I think we definitely, narrative is the most important driver of our outcomes, but it's not just the stories we're telling. Agree, agree. And it's about finding, it's kind of like what what are your clients not just listening for from you? It's what are they listening for in the world that's going to be useful to them? Um, and they're not necessarily actively listening. You know, they're, they're carrying along their bag of life um, and all of a sudden something resonates. Why is that? What condition is happening? What decision is someone making that goes, ah, oh, that's interesting. Ah, oh, that resonates with me. I'll go and either find out more or have an opinion about it or things like that. And it's all about that exchange, I think, in the um, in the narrative. It's not just from me to you. It's a conversation, actually. So, it, you know, a narrative should be a conversation rather than, a story and maybe that's where that as you say you you think about what's missing Mm. and what's missing is it's not that just that we enjoy stories we're social so we like conversation we like to interact and I think that that's a really telling and you can tell the people who like the exchange versus those who like their story often when you meet them so you talk about story but I'm going to take you back to that that big question what is purpose that we we keep I keep asking you and then ask you another question you answer that one so I'm going to stop and say Paul Skinner what is purpose so I would say purpose is our most adaptive capacity as humans in a sense I think Shakespeare got it wrong to be or not to be is not really the question we didn't choose to be born and so far at least we can't choose not to die Um, the real question isn't whether but whither you know our brains evolved in order to enable intentional movement Mm. Um, now other species also have brains and can move and we're not going to outrun a jaguar we're not going to out migrate uh, we're not going to out navigate a migratory bird in my case, not even with a sat-nav. Um, <laughs> but our particular capacity for language enables us to forge more, Im- to pursue more imagin- imaginative pathways through life. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to go somewhere means you have to know where you've been, where you are and where you could get to. 
And in human cognition, that rapidly becomes the key components of a story, past, present, future, beginning, middle, end. And so purpose is really a story through which we map the world around us in meaning and plan our particular journey to better. Oh, and of that. course, one of the reasons, and, and this, of course, when I say our, our most adaptive capacity as humans, this is why as humans, we've been able to develop from generation to generation, whereas other species have simply evolved. Mm. Uh, and so what well, I say simply evolved, evolution is magnificent and development, you can also see as a, a part of you know, maybe nature's most sophisticated experiment so far in some ways, but this ability to develop from generation to generation um, in ways that, of course, so accelerated the change in our lives over approximately past three human lifespans um, is really unique to humans. In, in the book, I, I use the phrase homo propositus or purposeful man as yeah. one way that you could define um, our species. Um, and I, so I would say it has been our most adaptive capacity so far. <laughs> because, uh, our ability to tell ourselves stories can go wrong. We've already, of course, had two world wars. We are wrapped up in a global climate emergency. Uh, we have important resource shortages. Um, so we need to get much better at rewriting our stories of purpose. Otherwise, what too easily happens in human cognition is that once we have a story of purpose, we relegate it to our subconscious and we continue with our lives and wait for the next problem to solve mm. but with that program running in the background. So too easily, if we don't renew those stories of purpose in a changing world, we become the puppets of our prior expectations. The solutions to yesterday's problems act through us mm. without us even fully being aware of it. And we often fail to spot the need for very necessary courses of action mm. because where our purpose was previously a valuable conscious lens through which to direct our actions, it can become a, a dangerous set of blinkers that prevents us mm. from seeing the need for and therefore undertaking action that can be very important this affects us as individuals um often in you know if you take the twin towers for example one of the key reasons for there being more fatalities than uh, there might have been was not so much that people were knocking each other over in running down the stairs it was that people were moving too slowly down the stairs and didn't realize hadn't fully registered quite the level of danger that that they were in mm. um, and that's a, a widespread phenomenon when people are exposed to an emergency they haven't previously experienced the type of before mm. um, in organizational life even very successful businesses can turn out to be quite fragile when you look at the psychological effects of their sunk costs um, the plan continuation biases of their leaders or the progress traps through which the, the purpose that gave rise to today's success could also be creating tomorrow's failure. Um, and there's already a track record we know from the historians of whole human civilizations falling when they were unable to renew their stories of purpose and bring a new story of purpose to bear in changing how they lived and worked when faced with new environmental stresses and 
we are now faced with significant environmental stresses. So I think we need to get much better at repurposing our lives and our organizations and our businesses in the light of today's macro environment. Mm. And I think that you know, when you when you first started sort of talking about this, what I really loved was that that thinking about you know, what we're trying to do is map the meaning of the world and then understand our path through it. And if the meaning of the world keeps changing, then so too must our path. So it's a lovely metaphor. There's something about keeping that fresh and at the forefront and being intentional about just checking in with that and bringing it out of the subconscious. Because I, I agree, I think too often we see purpose as a job to be done. We, mm. we can kind of go, oh, I've got my purpose now. I'll I'll stop looking at that, uh, either as an organization or a, a small business or a, or a person. I've got my purpose now, so I don't need to look at it anymore. I don't need to be intentional mm. about it. So I'll go off and, and be intentional about some other things. And I think you raise a really, really good point that that purpose is, is intentional. It's adaptive. And I also think it's constantly emerging. You know, we read out that quote mm. before about becoming and reinvention and the world is reinventing itself and there's crisis after crisis there's got to be a more almost like a constant mot on purpose is it still doing the job for me yeah it's interesting because a lot of management conventional management thinking in some way is derived from economics mm. and in economics you have that simplifying phrase ceteris paribus all things being equal yeah the trouble is that in a human context all things are never equal and if you think of the there was the Oreos um, in the Super Bowl. There was a, a Super Bowl a few years ago where there was a power cut in the halftime celebrations. Yeah. And uh, the a marketing manager at Oreos tweeted, you can still dunk in the dark. And they got more coverage for that free tweet than most of the people that you know the brands that had paid for multi-million dollar ad slots in the super bowl which is probably the most expensive advertising slot anywhere in the world any day of the year yeah you couldn't replicate that line three months from now when yeah. in a cost of living crisis people are struggling to turn the lights on yeah it would be yeah so it's it's all contextual yeah um and so you know you talk about emergence you know not everything is a state of emergency but mm. every all business activity takes in takes place and in an emerging environment yeah and so leaning into that finding the most pressing problems to solve and recontextualizing our thinking you know conventional management thinking reduces people to consumers humans to resources and our shared home or nature to an asset to be exploited mm. and i guess one of the things i'm arguing for in the book is if we put that context back in mm. it's to the benefit of enterprise and its stakeholders not to the detriment Absolutely. I've also quite quickly after I read um, The Purpose Upgrade, I've just finished reading uh, Values by Mark Carney, you know, the ex-Bank mm. of England governor. And it starts very economically focused, but within a few chapters, he's talking about the social impacts, the how do we value some of those other assets. Um, it's not all about the economy, you know, in, as it stands and that sort of thing. And I think there just seems to be this this thread going on about you know are we ever going to fix this climate crisis unless we 
value it in the same way as some of the other things that we naturally think are urgent and important. We kind of think it's important, but why is action not happening more readily? And I think we've got to paradoxically one way reassociate or reattach the notion of values with the notion of value creation mm. because in a sense value creation is your values creation yeah um, because value only means something if you're talking about choice making mm. so what we are revealed values are the things that we choose repeatedly yeah. So we need to associate them quite directly with the central activity of a business. And this is where, you know, maybe I draw a distinction between a purpose upgrade and a lot of the other things we hear about purpose, yeah. ESG, yeah. CSR, yeah. brand yeah. purpose, stakeholder capitalism, and so on. There, mm. There's a lot to be said about those ideas. Where a purpose upgrade is different, though, is that it's about changing or redefining the core nature of what problem you're solving in the first place, the nature of the solution that you're enrolling your stakeholders in, in solving that problem and and the outcomes that you achieve. So it is Mm. redefining the cycle of change that your business is is leading to, whereas all of those other ideas don't necessarily involve that. So, for example, you end up with um paradoxes like british american tobacco being listed as one of the you know highest rated esg investments just because something can be sustained doesn't mean it's solving an important problem yeah yeah it's a, that's a great point there's a lot of talk about being sustainable but being sustainable and doing what having what impact is kind of the missing piece of that and and that whole thing about value creation. I, I do have a bit of a thing about when people go, oh, we just need to create value. And I go, yeah, but what does that mean exactly? So I think that that can be bandied around a little bit. And I really like the way you you linked that to the the creation of, of values. Mm. Mm. There's um one idea in the book, actually, I, I talk about, you know, it's obviously Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations. And uh, since he wrote that in classical economic thinking, we tend to think that if we pursue self-directed benefit first, we end up with a collective good as a happy byproduct. That that seems to have broken down mm. because currently business as usual is increasing rather than reducing inequalities, it's driving rather than reducing the climate emergency and so on. But the, the good news is that reason and evidence suggest that if we flip that upside down and we our starting point is to seek to contribute we do we can then derive our own self-directed rewards as our share of the far greater prosperity that we can unlock mm. um, by making an enterprise a channel for something greater than itself and in the book i propose the idea of creating a wealth of change mm. where you look at not just the the revenue and profit that a business business creates, not that those are bad things. Those are very good things to have as outcomes. Mm. Um, but you look at the overall difference that the the presence of a business can make to the world yeah. and then seeing what you need or your stakeholders to do. Mm. You know, your stakeholders, none of them are passive. Your investors commit to the future, your partners 
share that future with you. Your colleagues don't just do what they're told. If they're any good, they bring some discretionary effort and creativity to bear and empathy to bear on their activities. Um, and we all depend on the, the society in which we operate and nature's part. You know, we, we can't separate ourselves from that. We can't even digest our own food. It's the bacteria that lives inside us that does that. So yes. nature has an incredibly valuable role to play in all of our lives. Um, and if we seek to empower all of those stakeholders to create an exciting wealth of change, we can derive plenty of prosperity for the enterprise as part of that. Mm, absolutely. And I love I love that it's the word prosperity as well. It feels bigger. It feels like it's about what's possible, not what's mm. pragmatic. You know, that yeah. there's something really possibility driven about that that I like. So why a book? Why why did you kind of I mean, I know you've written two and some other things, but why write a book versus all the other ways that you could extend and increase your contribution around the the stories and the conversation of purpose oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, i remember a teacher at my school uh, asking us uh, i told this story partly because the book launch for this book the purpose upgrade took place in i think the what may be the world's oldest purpose built bookshop Gaunt yeah. books in in Marleybone and so partly as a, a nod to the bookshop that we were in which is absolutely beautiful mm. uh, I told the story of a, a careers advisor at my school who said you should go to a bookshop see what section in the bookshop you're naturally drawn towards and use that to get some idea as to what you what kind of career you might be suited to and the particular problem for me was that the whole bookshop was the the drawer um <laughs> I, I I really do believe in in the power of narrative and and I have a, a lifelong interest in the narratives that really do shape who and what we become if I asked you would you rather have a good life or a good life story uh oh, it might time. seem kind of ludicrous to suggest that you'd want the good life story mm. but behavioral research shows that when it comes to our actual choices oh, really? we would choose a good life story yeah. I mean there are things like the peak end effect yeah. Yeah. Um, whereby people tend to think that a life is more desirable if it comes good at the end yes uh, even <laughs> you know there, I think there's a particular uh, opera where it all comes down to whether a particular couple are reunited before their inevitable departure from embodied existence and so it all comes down to are they going to get that final 10 minutes together yeah yeah <laughs> um, and yeah. of course objectively yeah. objectively that's not an assessment of their lives as a whole there's um uh, also another uh, behavioral bias called duration neglect where People tend to think that a life is more desirable if you have 50 really happy years than if you have 50 really happy years and then five happy years. <laughs> Even though objectively, yes, 50 very happy years plus five happy years is yeah. better than just 50 very happy years. So we tend to go for the good life story rather mm. than the good life. And of course, a good life story helps us cope with our problems as they arrive. It helps us transcend the immediate and persevere and seek rewards that you wouldn't be able to achieve just by prioritizing gratification in the moment or even states of flow mm. um, for you know you may need to push through states of flow 
sometimes to achieve something that you wouldn't be able to achieve through only allowing yourself to act in a state of flow yeah and of course that is what we build our relationships through our life stories it's how we relate to each other um our leaders take their most important decisions with awareness of facts and data but with a narrative most importantly that makes sense of that mm. there's an american economist robert j schiller who's even shown empirically decade after decade that the stories we tell ourselves across society are the single biggest driver of economic events um, and we've talked a lot about the context of disasters and emergencies even in a disaster or an emergency the direct and unavoidable impacts of almost any situation are not as great as the cumulative effect of the narratives that guide how we anticipate, prepare for, respond to, or or try to recover from, from that event. Mm. Um, so for me, a book is important because a book is a contribution um, to changing our narratives. But of course, writing books changes nothing it's reading books as part of how we read the world around us and bringing that to bear on our actions that changes something. So if anyone is listening and would like to read The Purpose Upgrade, they will have my uh, undying gratitude. Because, <laughs> uh, and also absolutely. absolutely loves their readers. Yeah, yeah. I say in my bio every time, you know, there's all there's all the stuff that we normally talk about ourselves. And then I say, if you can't find her, she's probably curled up in the corner with her nose in a book. So, you know, yeah. whether that's something I'm trying to learn, something I'm trying to escape into. I love reading and you're right. It does, it does inform this whole mapping the meaning of the world and how do I navigate through it? And, and the question... Um, I was asking myself as you were sort of answering the question and you said, what's the difference between a good life and a good life story or what would you prefer? Mm-hmm. I kind of, there's part of me that went, so what's the difference? <laughs> yeah. Well, the good life story is the means to get a good life. In the yeah, first exactly. So it confers, you know, a good life is a happy outcome, mm. but a good life story yeah. is something that confers adaptive advantage. Yeah. And of course this is the same for, for businesses. I mean, uh, Business is generally more interesting when it is more meaningful and purposeful. There's a an entrepreneur who was involved in one of our gatherings at Marketing Kind who is in the fashion business and he had a very successful underwear business. Came to the conclusion that um, the whole business model of fashion was unsustainable. So relaunched his business activities as Sheep Inc. Sheep, uh, as the brand implies, are heavily involved in that business. And when you buy one of their merino wool sweaters, you don't just look good. You get to track the happy life of the sheep who made it and be a pioneering pioneering supporter of the world's first carbon negative fashion brand. Um, Another entrepreneur in the book specifically went to seek out boring industries because by making them purposeful, he could make the previously boring really exciting. So he went into things like stationery that you don't normally read about in Harvard Business Review or something. Um, But he went into those and associated it with programs of microfinance and has lifted you know, changed the lives of more than two million people since he launched that initiative. Mm. And it said that, you know, procurement managers had never actually heard an interesting pitch in stationery before. And so they didn't just want to buy his stuff. They wanted to actively help him be successful across their sectors. And be part of his story. Yeah, a good story is a problem solving tool. It is. 
Well, we've been talking for a little while. So I want to give you the opportunity to sort of share a little bit with us about what's coming up for you. You've obviously got a book to promote and talk about and all of that sort of thing. What What's coming up for you in the next few months, Paul? Well, I am hopefully going to be talking a lot more about the purpose upgrade. Um, so definitely it's available. It's in Waterstones. It's on Amazon, of course. If people prefer to listen, then there is a, an audiobook version they can get on Audible or wherever they get their audiobooks. Which I believe um, are your dulcet tones. Yeah, I, um, I, I recorded it, which was quite an experience. Uh, I would and I'd love to hear from anyone who reads it, of course, or listens. If people would like um, for a limited time, I'm offering purpose upgrade in an hour sessions for people's businesses or other groups that people are in to uh, introduce the idea of a purpose upgrade and get people started. There's also a day long version of that for people who'd like to go into the idea in more depth and with a, a smaller number of businesses and organizations I can become involved in supporting implementation over time as, as an advisor. I'm also the founder, of course, of Marketing Kind, which is a really exciting way for, for people to become more ambitious change makers and where narrative is really at the heart of what we do. Mm. Um, so if people would like to join Marketing Kind, uh, it's a wonderful membership community. There are some brilliant people. Our 2023 schedule is not yet um, announced as we are recording this podcast. People can come. Upcoming gatherings include December 15th. We've got one of our digital firesides with Michelle Carville and Gemma Butler, the authors of Sustainable Marketing, on the theme of what they've learned one in, in the year since their book came out which is going to be a fantastic conversation. The next cause that we'll be supporting, I, I mentioned every month, we support a different cause and upcycle our marketing and business skills to support a different charity or social enterprise. And the January cause will be focused on climate change. Uh, or our next Your Marketing Kind session on January 11th is on how brands can get involved in supporting regenerative farming in the UK to tackle climate, the, the climate emergency. So some fantastic conversations coming up um, so people can become uh, a member of Marketing Kind. Anything and else? Well, that's quite enough. And, and um, listeners, if you've been busily trying to scribble all that down, we will put all of those details in the show notes so that if you're interested in something in particular, you can go into the show notes. Um, we'll put the links in there and put the details of where you can buy um, the Purpose Upgrade, of course. So one of the things I always ask our guests, Paul, is I like to give listeners of the episode an opportunity to take something away that they can implement so it might be uh, something to do with the purpose upgrade it might be something you've just learned in your life and your value it might be a quote so what nugget would you like to leave for our building brandy listeners today so i think a purpose upgrade doesn't have to be across a whole business you can we can apply it to anything that we're doing and often questions are a good starting point because a question helps us overcome the limiting perceptions that we may have inherited from our former, you know, the purpose that we were previously arrived at. And so there is a, a sort of mini purpose upgrade in, in the book, which involves three questions that we can bring to any situation. What is needed here? 
which lifts us out of our organizational perspective. It's simply in this context, what is needed, you know, mm. what's missing. So it elevates us to a place, a holistic place of just looking at what is needed rather than assuming that our solution is what's needed. Yeah. Um, secondly, how can this best be achieved? And again, that may not even involve us particular situation. How can this best be achieved? And then thirdly, what role can we play? in enabling that to happen if we bring those three questions to bear on anything um, we can upgrade the purpose so i'll give a couple of examples let's take customer service or something similar so after the book launch i got the train home on the uh, west coast line from euston so if we look at the ticket inspection before you board that train now currently that ticket inspection is managed with a very clear purpose that it is there to stop people getting on the train if they don't have a ticket I've taken that train many, many times, and I really haven't seen many people try and get on the train without a ticket. But a lot of people get encumbered and off put by all of the delays around the ticket inspections, the unpredictability. Is it at the barrier, in which case you have your ticket in in your pocket, but you've got a lot of luggage. Um, So if you don't, if the ticket inspection is going to be on the train, you, you know, you probably have your ticket in your bag versus in your pocket where it's going to fall out at some point when you're reaching for something else. Now, what if instead that ticket inspection was there, you know, the purpose of inspecting people's tickets or the purpose of that delay was to somehow improve people's journey? Mm. Now, if you think from that perspective, you can completely reimagine how that might take place. And we take the ticket inspections on the train, for example, in Japan, there's a little pocket in the seat in front in, uh, in the back of the seat in front of you and it's accepted by the train manager that if you leave your ticket in that little pocket it's that you don't want to be disturbed you know you're sleeping or you're meditating or listening to something in deep concentration when going up and down the aisle the train manager can check things about people's journeys i've literally heard train managers say that they don't have time to investigate how they can get the internet back up and running for everyone to use because they still have to check everybody's tickets that have already been checked at the station in Houston. The ticket check at that point is not improving life for anyone. No. Getting the Wi-Fi back up and running for everybody on the train to make their journey more enjoyable or more productive in some way could be really useful. Mm. Um, So in a sense, I think we can apply a, a purpose upgrade to more, more or less any aspect of any organization's activity, just with those three questions. What's actually needed? How could this be achieved? And then what role can we play in making that easier to happen? Yeah, I love that. And and whether it's a, an organization or um, as an entrepreneur, I think what is needed here without the lens of what can I provide is a really valuable question, really valuable. And my final question to you is, if people want to get in touch with you, it might be about the book or some of the programs and initiatives you've talked about, whether it's Marketing Kind or Agency of the Future, what is the best way for them to get in contact with you? We will put all of your details in the show notes. I mean, the quickest way is to look me up on, on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, and they can also find me on Twitter, I, Paul Skinner. If people look me up on LinkedIn, I promise I'll start posting a bit more. As well, you should. We all want to hear more about what's happening in the life of the Purpose Upgrade. Well, 
Paul, um, the only thing left for me to say really is to thank you for agreeing to come on the Building Brand New podcast, for uh, opening uh, your mind and your heart about your um, your latest book. I'd encourage people to go out and buy it. I have read it and I have so many sticky labels and notes throughout it that I think I'm going to be dining off this book for quite some time. So Purpose Upgrade from Paul Skinner. Thank you so much, Paul, for your generosity and your time today. Thank you, Kevin. It's been a a delight. And listeners, uh, look out for the next episode of Building Brand You coming to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Building Brand You podcast. I'm Kim Hamer. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. For all the latest news, hot tips and special offers, you can become a member of the Building Brand You Facebook group. Just type Building Brand You into the Facebook search box and request to join. You'll also find me on LinkedIn where you can get your hands on my eight ways to build brand you for free and to receive exclusive content direct to your inbox and be first in line for upcoming events, sign up to the Brand You Unlocked newsletter. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. I help people to accelerate their success by unlocking their greatest asset. If you'd like to find out how to unlock your reputation, your results and your impact, book a free 20-minute coaching with Building Brand You call at calendly.com forward slash Kim Hamer forward slash BBY chat. Accelerate your results by unlocking your greatest asset, you.